0: in terms of agility it's again watching kids on film because false steps some people call plyo step false step i don't care what you call it there's a good way to do it in a bad way you know if if you're stepping too far back and that foot you're stepping back with that heel comes down and the knee straightens then yeah that's is the mechanism for an achilles tear and you know the our age population right or even Mm -hmm. a You know, even some younger athletes too Mm -hmm. have it. So we don't want it to be stretching and loading at the same time. So that's where heel taps and all that kind of stuff we do come in. But again, it all comes down to if you're in your posture and you know what your feet are doing. If you've got those two things and then I have you react in certain sprints, the kids that do it well, typically were in the posture and everything worked out the way it did. If they don't do it well, we typically they probably miss something.
1: That was Mike Kozak, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to mention a really cool item that is available now from our sponsor, SimplyFaster.com in their store. That item is Exogen Premium Wearable Resistance. Exigen is a series of tight-fitting sleeves along with uniquely shaped fusiform weights that strap directly onto those sleeves. So what I mean is you can have shin sleeves, arm sleeves, shorts, and a vest, and you can strap these uniquely fusiform shaped weights, they're light in nature, 100, 200 grams, that strap on in a way that allows you not only to resist movement very specifically, but also add fine-tuned elements of rotation to that resistance. So this is the next level of wearable resistance. You may have heard this from back long ago on the show, Hank Kryenhoff talking about it to recently, Chris Corfis, sprint coach, talking about it. Uh, This is the next level in premium wearable resistance. I've used it myself. I love it. I love not only the way it feels and the way you feel form and technique change, it's like combining technique with power. And so often we just think about weighted vests as just pure force, pure downward gravity loaded resistance. This is the ultimate combination of technique with power, and it shows up in things like Chris Corfis being able to take time off an athlete's 10-meter fly by putting the sleeves just on one side of the body in ipsilateral resistance. We're using the body's own systems, fine-tuning it, and that's what this does. It allows you as the coach or an athlete to create, explore, and fine-tune the way that the resistance is rotationally impacting the body This is next-level stuff, and I know you'll love it. So you can check that out in the Simply Faster store. Head on over to simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com, and get your Exogen gear today. Welcome back to another episode. So speed training, always love talking about it. And this show has a little particular nuance to it. A lot of times we talk about training setups, different exercises, which we'll certainly get into on this one, periodization plans and and biomechanical factors, which we will get into on this show as well. But this show has the nuance of working athletic movement, speed, agility, jumping from the ground up and more specifically from the arches of the foot upwards. And my guest to uh, give us just great insight into his program that works on that level is Mike Kozak. Mike Kozak is the owner of Sore Fitness in Columbus, Ohio. He is another guy who is, and maybe one of the foremost, if not the foremost, mentee of Adarian Barr. In just the length of time and discussions Mike has spent learning from Adarian. And It's been a lot of fun for me to see uh, what Mike has done with a lot of those concepts. You'll see him doing a lot of movements that are based off of athletic posture and working the feet and the arches and heel taps and squatted run variations, and it works. Mike gets fantastic results with his athletes, and he's always giving them something different, something they're not typically getting in their school strength and conditioning program. Since Mike works in the private industry, he's tasked with The need to fill in gaps. What are these athletes not getting? What are they not getting in touch with? Mike does such a good job of that. He does such a good job of creativity and exercises and training and nuances that really help an athlete to connect with their feet, their hips, their posture, their locomotion. The concepts that Adarion has taught him that gets them results that would be far above and beyond just going in and lifting weights so i'm excited to have mike back on the show mike was also on the episode back on episode 184 where he appeared alongside Stephen Laflamme, where they went into their system as well this time it's a little bit different as we're going to get into it really on the level of the feet the arches and building that athlete from the ground up the feet up and what does that look like tons of great biomechanical inferences in here tons of just great general training nuts and bolts so let's get on to it. Episode 228 with Mike Kozak. Mike, it's awesome to have you back on the show, man. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, and we were just talking about this a few seconds ago, but this summer forced so many of us coaches to really be creative with our training. Lots of, you know, new, we had to go outside or different environments and, or lack of equipment. What were you doing with your athletes this summer and that was different and what kind of results were you getting?
0: Yeah, well, hey, first, glad to be here, man. It's always nice to, it's kind of like, Growing up watching a team, you know, I've always been listening to this podcast. And now, to be honest, it's like playing for your, your team you rooted for your whole life, you know. So, anyways, you know, like most good coaches, over the whole uh, the quarantine, which was what well, you know February into into April, spent a lot of time on a lot of different webinars. You know, uh, you know, you and I have taught. You and I have been on the Dariens. I was, you know, Chris Corfis and Dan Victor put on some really good ones. And, you know, and I had been aware of some of the DB hammer and all that, that kind of stuff, but really kind of dove in with that and exchanged thousands of voice messages with uh, my friend Ronnie Ward out in Ireland and really kind of put together a plan. It was like when May hit and I couldn't open my gym, I pulled my clientele and thought maybe I'd have like 10 kids who want to train outside. I ended up having 60. I was like, wow. All right. So we're going to take four kids every half hour, 45 minute sessions. And really we kind of just, we did our normal warm up and our rewire, a Darien type stuff kind of meshed in, you know, some of the the DB hammer concepts. Cause I mean, we, we couldn't lift weights or bring weights or anything else apart. So a lot of, you know, getting into some of that force drop absorption stuff, we've kind of done, but never really done to that magnitude and just kind of you know, getting more into some frequency type hops. We're outside so we could run farther sprints than we were used to doing in my gym where we were kind of limited to 10 to 15. Now I could extend the kids out 20, 25 yards. So, you know, just new stimuluses for the kids was one. Two, they've all been sitting inside. So they're all recovered. They're all fresh. And three, like I said, most of my kids that normally lift at school, a lot of my football kids, they didn't have that stimulus on them, which I'll be honest, that stuff just, even though I will work around it, it's just never done ideally. Right. So for the first time I had athletes who were fresh and really what they were coming to me, I was the only thing they really had in terms of training because even team sports weren't going on. So when the gym opened at the end of May and we got back to starting to be able to lift some weights and do some stuff, man, and test, and we just kind of, me and Dakota, my, my trainer, looking at each other like, wow, these kids are flying. And it's, it's really, we were able to do stuff intelligently with the proper amount of rest. And like I said, they didn't have any other things that were kind of competing. So, you know, the outdoor workouts was kind of intelligently done speed work, you know, some sort of plyo or force absorption type thing. And then we would do a lot of crawling, a lot of iso lunge extremes, straight leg extremes nothing involved weights and boy it was hard i mean kids doing you know 60 75 90 second iso straight leg extremes standing at the top of the hill they just crawled up from in the wind of you know early mays blowing and they're Mm -hmm. trying to just a lot of stuff that they would never we'd never have the opportunity to do so really it kind of we we came out of covid or we're not out of it but out of that part of it we're kind of smelling like a rose man our kids were looking great and we were having a great time training kids outside so it was a ton of fun
1: yeah, I think a couple of thoughts. First, I was going to say, whenever you get crawling, sprinting for a longer distance than, I mean, even acceleration is good, but just flat sprinting and ISOs in the same workout of the same week. And that's like a focus rather than just, again, we know you both like weights. Weights are just good. But if you can get away from the, the negative stimuli aspect of kids getting overworked in the weight room and just get into that for a while, man, it is explosive, the, the progress and just like the fluidity, I think you see.
0: It is. And honestly, not having a wall to confine, like we will open the door and I'm in a new facility. Now we can't. Kids would actually have to jump off a bay door, which would certainly not be safe. But, you know, I know a Darian said this. Darian's like, you know, I got a drill. It's called run as fast as you can, as far as you can. Who cares? You go 20 yards, 30 yards for you. And, and so when we we're outside in this you know, parking lot thing. There was no end. You know, sometimes I time 20s. But really I'd say just get going. But if that kid was fine, I'm like just keep running, you know, hopefully a car doesn't come through or, or something like that. And like I said, that's just pops the pops the brakes off you. Keep going.
1: So that drill. Well, first, I'll proceed this by saying, I I think what you saw, I know a lot of people were seeing, especially I saw this being posted by coaches like, hey, COVID said I don't have weights, we're quarantined, and I've just been sprinting straight up and then testing like verts and counter, you know, especially RSI's, of course, reactive strengths, but all this stuff is exploding because that high threshold sprinting stimuli. And so I just thought that was, I thought that was really cool to see. And just like this world of contrast too. I mean, if nothing else. Even our all arguments and nuances and peculiarities aside, if we just simply contrasted emphases a little bit more, you know, like, again, I think good coaches, we can put it all together in a way experienced coaches can put this all together in this really pristine way. But if you know, just just doing spending more time with strength and then just spending more time just pure speed is never going to be a bad thing. Uh, so that drill with Darien, basically just—you're running as fast as you can until you feel yourself slowing down, and then you just cut it like that's, Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. It kind of like he would talk about,
0: con- you know, how he talks about conditioning. I'm the same way. I don't, I don't you know, there's time and a place for it, but really, his—he's like that's his drill. He's like just, just run as run as fast as you can until you can't run anymore. You know, I, mean, I like that. Shoot, that's, <laughs> it's hard. I mean, there's no constraint.
1: I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like, do it. people? Where do people shut down? Like, I mean, you got a hard nosed kid. Like, a, you get a CrossFitter to come out and do that, right? Like, they're gonna go like. 70 seconds and just, you know, die a lactate death, right? Like, versus right. someone run, might be yeah, like, yeah, 8 seconds, run. I'm good. I still die 8 seconds, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, run as fast as you can for as far as you can, you know, so you gotta kind of just, you know, what is a CrossFit guy's probably gonna run at 80% eventually, you know, that's that's not not what it is, but you know, and especially if you're in the posture and, and turning them over and doing all the things. You know, now if a kid's not running well, I'm not gonna let him run as fast as you can, mm-hmm. as far as he can. You know, now we're, that's just not productive work, so.
1: Yeah, what well, my mind takes that is is you're going max, and then as soon as you feel yourself slowing down, that that's the stop point. I just feel like yeah, you're gonna. Your
0: body will tell you, right?
1: You that would be an interesting way to see how people are wired, though. You know what I'm saying? Like this thought, and I think about this a lot these days. I've thought about it in the past, but like if you coach or work with club track, like I have in the past, you get eight, nine, ten year old kids, and then you have coaches saying, "Oh, wait." That sprint was supposed to be, you know, don't go all out. These are only 80% sprints. These are 70 Like, kids don't know that. Like, the acceleration portion of the warm-ups that I would watch would be, like, you, know, you get three accelerations. And they would be like, all right, you know, just just build up to top speed. And the, kid, the young kids would just blast off racing each other every single time. And the coaches are trying to be like, no, slow down, it's this. It's like, I just thought it was hilarious because we have to be taught to do these things. And so, I just think, especially for me, too. I look at myself as an athlete and I think about my own engine and I think that I have been down regulated by mentality so often because it's like slow down, do it right, do it this way, do it X, Y, Z. And, and I think we lose, sometimes we lose touch with that just true, like, like let the cheat out and just let it go. And you see that with those kids who have no regulation, just bam. And I'm not saying that if I'm going to coach track that I'm not going to have a little bit of, I mean, cause I do think the the highest speed is found at a, Slightly like a 95 90 to 95% mm-hmm. effort, like like at least mental effort, someone in there, you know, there's that to it. But, anyways, sorry, I'm just going off tangent. I've just been thinking about no, that that's a lot like, lately.
0: Speed gate golf and that kind of stuff can work, and we do that. We do it with approach, John. You know, I want you to try to hit this, and for some kids, it does. But that's why I found out of what we would deem our warm up if we are testing sprints that day, used to give kids some warm up reps. We don't even do it anymore because we kind of just started timing kids when we didn't know they didn't know we were timing their, and they were running faster than they normally runs so i'm like why are we even wasting time with these deemed pre-testing reps we don't need them they're already ready to go yeah
1: so. yeah warm-ups is uh warm-ups are have become such an interesting and different thing over the further i've gone along the years especially spending time with the dairy too, and even just like the more a human being is meant to move in the way and and how you the closer you are to moving as you are intended, the less you do have to do or formally at least versus it's kind of like once we take our rotations and spirals out and maximal abilities and our, and our subconscious brains out and everything becomes forebrain and more Lego man sagittal and more muscle oriented. Yeah, you probably are going to need a little bit longer to warm up and get all those systems tuned up to to being the fastest that you can be. But I mean, that's probably a little different than what you're talking about with the way you, warm, you warmed up, but thoughts well, that I have.
0: it's funny that this is what I was saying about last night and you, you know, and kind of match the show notes. You talked about, you know, we talked the foot and all that. I mean, you could call it pre warm up. Let's just call it the start of our session, which used to be foam rolling, which we used to just do honestly to take attendance. <laughs> we don't mess with that anymore. It becomes, let's do something that these kids Never do. There's no way. So some days it's Gary Ward's aim wedges, pronation, supination, or we're starting to get into the cogs. There's no no one's doing that. Or I'm not saying no one, no trainer's doing that. These kids aren't doing that yeah. at home. Learning how to move their pelvis and yeah. and fine and all that kind of stuff. It could be doing stuff on a Darien's inserts and base position and the payload and, and that kind of stuff. It could be rolling. It could be crawling. It could be anything like that that is just a different stimulus, different feel that I know these kids are not, you know, if they train at school or they got basketball practice, try whatever, I know they're not doing any of that stuff. So right away, we're hitting them with something that is fresh. And I know that we're not overdoing it. We're talking about a five, six minute portion of the training period by most. And so it's hard. I mean, you start putting some of those cogs and Gary Wart's... At, that stuff's not easy to perform. You learn a lot about your body. I'm learning a lot about the kids, me taking some notes. Once we're done with that, you know, we're squatted, running, Swiss ball, shuffling, doing any of the stuff you see me, me put on Instagram. From there, we're into the portion. We're ready to rock. Ten minutes in, you know, we do ten minutes of whatever speed, agility work, if the kid has that for that day. And then we've got the rest of the day to, again, do whatever I deem necessary for, for each individual. So that, that's what our, our program looks like right now.
1: Yeah, I wanted to get into the, and we'll we'll get into the like a dairy and bar stuff that you do, and I'd like to the theme kind of being starting from the feet and moving upwards. But okay. before that, I I wanted to ask you, I don't know if we really went into this last time in the show in much depth, but your background is not formal strength and condition. You know, you're not like the typical. I think I got my bachelor's and masters in exercise science. You know, da 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 like. Uh, and, I, and I love talking to people who didn't go that typical pathway, because I think it cultivates and breeds different ways of thinking at the field and different ways to kind of get outside that bubble and then come back into it with new information, knowledge, insights. So what was your background to the, the coaching, teaching industry? And then how, did, how does that well, stuck with you?
0: I went to school to be a phys ed teacher, really, because I knew that nothing else to go, school-wise was going to work for me. It was either be a Main, do maintenance for softball fields and baseball parks and just do that, which I would have been happy with. But wanted to go to school was blessed. You know, I have a family that, that provided that opportunity for me and got my master's degree in education. And a student taught with a guy who I just thought was brilliant. His name's John Blaine. I'm sure nobody's ever heard of him, elementary phys ed teacher. But he would coach. It was elementary phys ed and everything was individualized. So let's just say if the goal for the day was shooting a basketball, he had – Seven different heights of hoops and seven different sizes of balls. And the kids were basically, if you could shoot on a seven foot hoop with a small ball, move to the eight and you move the nine and then they get a bigger ball and start. I'm like, this is brilliant. And every kid is just getting all these reps and reps and reps. and So it kind of formulated a a vision from like, well, okay, that's how I want to teach and, and taught in Columbus public schools, which where he was teaching was in the suburbs. So you had a lot more, more resources, but, you know, had a blast, you know, coaching in inner city or teaching inner city w- was tough, but while I was doing it, you know, of course I'm just working on a commercial gym and I was chest on Monday guy and back <laughs> on two like anybody else. Right. But like playing sports, softball, basketball, whatever, just learned about the internet, picked up a medicine ball at the gym. that had jump USA on it. Jumpusa.com picked that up, got online. I was like, Oh, jump souls. Cool. I'm gonna buy a pair. Started doing them, of course, jumping higher because I never did plyometrics before. So, is it because of the jump soles, the program, whatever? Mike, you know what? Got with my old business partner, my roommate, at times, so, you know, we should just buy these jump soles and start selling them to kids and teaching them the program. So, that is where SOAR started. That exact thing. Now, we overused them and probably did way too much plyometric back then, but the bottom line was I've never spent one second inside a college strength and conditioning environment. I never had a strength and conditioning mentor. Now, obviously, I've attended seminars and sought out some people's advice, just like yours when I met you. So a Darian is really the first formal mentor I've had. So in terms of how I God, 15, 16 years ago, I basically just, there was a point in time we were all about standing on stability balls because that's what we thought core was so you would do jump soles with us and you'd kneel on stability balls and do presses and all that. And then I started reading Mike Boyle. I'm like, oh man, I'm way off. I need to be doing this. And then I started reading Louis Simmons, all the people that everybody else has read. I just never had anybody show me how to design programs or, or really how to coach lifting. I just kind of learned as I went, kind of was inside a Taekwondo studio with some Olympic kids and a, a coach that had been in that process that, that kind of told me, I was like, oh, okay this is how i learned to program but i have pretty much operated basically learning by failing or being like oh that doesn't work and trying to read so you know whether that's good or bad that that's just my story so when it comes to changing my philosophy or like meeting a darian which anybody else that has met him and talked to him you're going to have a completely different thought about how to train people right i have no problem making wholesale adjustments like that because I, i'm unbiased i never
1: learned a, a traditional way you know yeah, and that's where even with me i remember even just getting into my first in my early 20s my first internship experiences and in strength and conditioning and the thing that you like you were saying with you like you were all over jump usa getting the jump sales, doing it all yourself and the biggest thing that i noticed as a young i guess still i guess young coach a seasoned athlete i mean for me i by the time i was doing those internships i had been training myself for 10 years so those those 10 years of experience and I just sensed this at least this is just the two internships that I did. I'm not speaking for other programs and I won't even say exactly where these were, but I just noticed this insane disconnect between like everything that I had learned, athletic movement, elasticity, power, and all this stuff, and, and what was kinda what seemed to be the just general vibe, which was just kinda, hey, here's some exercises, do them this way, no no thought process really behind why they were being done or what portion of the movement they could help, anything like that. It was just and so that, you know, then I decided to become a track coach for a few years. And after that, but anyways, long story short is I, I'd I'd like to get to some of the things that you've learned from Adarian, starting from the level of the foot that are staples in your program. When athletes come in, we want you to do this to be able to do this well, to be able to cultivate greater levels of athleticism. So, starting at the level of the foot, what are some things, some key cornerstones of your program?
0: Well, I mean, we have you know Adarian and and I, and obviously more him is we've established, and he talks about all the time, is what the non-negotiables are. One are your feet and your arches, and two are your athletic posture. So, you know, when I get a kid, they want a 30-minute one-on-one assessment. They're barefoot. And really, I just watch them stand and squat and do some things. I know I've said on your podcast before. For me, level one is, do you have any idea what your feet are doing? And most kids do not. And then you say you put shoes on, it's your new floor. They have no idea what their foot's doing in their shoes. Now, some kids, you know, again, we know some kids feet over pronated, some kids over supinated, some kids one, the other one out, one in I'm not getting into the nuances of that, the basic is if I can get kids to now understand the base of the bag, base of the pinky and the heel, which is a tripod, which is pretty universally accepted, not be a toe gripper. Okay. And then can I effectively get them on the inside edge, which is again, really debatable because if you're already pronated, so then maybe if you're that kid, maybe I need to go with some of the, you know, we do some of the Gary Ward wedges and that kind of stuff, which again, just a different stimulus to make them feel foot pressures, right? So day one, first thing is let's understand what our feet are doing. Let's understand where we want our pressures. Where is the transverse arch? Can we push pinky toe away and get something that that I want to see? And then from there, Let's put the athletic posture on top of it. Where is the xiphoid in relation to the feet, are you someone that's going to be squat lower? Are you someone that's going to be squat higher? And then from there, it becomes a relationship of, and, and I know uh, the shin drop is a huge thing, right? I mean, Darian talks about the time. I know Jermaine Dixon, a guy has been on a lot of our webinars. He's, you know, big, tons of stuff with shins going low, all that. The main thing I try to get across to kids is if your shin's going down, your heel's coming up. Mm-hmm. Shins going down, heel's coming up. And so that is where we start and whether it's with squatted lunges. And again, if I got a 10, 11 year old kid, I might put him in that position. He goes right away. Or I should preface it by saying before I even cover how to do this stuff, I just video him running and doing stuff so without saying anything to him because if they do it already. I don't have any reason to even fill their minds with information.
1: Yes. They don't need. Yeah. I love it, that point
0: they're already there. I'm like, okay, well maybe his arms could do something a little better. I'm going to save that for another day. I'm not going to, I don't want it. Cause I made that mistake. You're like, oh, this kid looks great. Okay. I'm going to give him this right now. And I give it to him and now he's slower. I'm like, well, <laughs> I gotta go tell mom and dad your assessment. I just made your son slower because I, I tried to try to make him faster and I confused them. Right. It's not, not a good thing. So a case by case basis. But the main thing is if, if they can leave my facility or like i just did some intros for these volleyball teams every day if you have two takeaways what are your feet doing and what is your athletic posture from there we need as many reps as we can get in that and then we can start to build out in the hip cycle and, and all these mm-hmm. other things
1: i've heard that from a few people on the show before but i just i want to always highlight it come back to it, even especially i'm saying this for myself too because i even think about the feet are in a really important part of my own process and i like to intellectualize everything And I always see myself doing that to the athlete, like giving it this intellectual spiel. And I've gotten better at it over the years in terms of not making it too convoluted and trying to really package it in a very small chunk. But even to the point where just knowing when to say nothing and in the sense you look at that like nine-year-old kid at track club who's just busting out of the gates, sprinting, having fun, smile on his face, racing his or her buddy. And the more you tell that person, you start to see that nine-year-old kid start to slowly fade away and... It's really so much of that's all. it's all about? Like just knowing when not to show something that I know as the coach to let to to help you because you do it exactly. Maybe when you retire from athletics, you know, and you're in, in 15 years from now, if you have a long career or whatever, you know, then I'll tell you about all of it. I don't know, but it's I I would agree. So I I like to talk a little bit about something you said where because this is I think the gold and this is where if you look at a lot of traditional strength and conditioning methodology, it's just simply, oh, you don't have enough dorsiflexion range, well, let's squat, let's do more dorsiflexion, let's stretch your ankles, let's do X, Y, Z, but no one talks about that heel coming up as the knee goes forward. And so, tell me a little bit more about, about that. Uh, first, just as a concept, why, why is that important? And then let's get into how you're going about training it.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, because the Darian would say, one, your range is your range, so we're not really consciously trying to improve dorsiflexion. Now, again, if a kid's going to a PT or they say he needs to do it, then I'm not arguing with that. And again, I think some wholesale good movement of a young kid should probably improve those things. Yes. Right? How much? Yeah. I don't, if you're 18 or might, probably not. You're 12, 13, probably. So, yeah. So the one thing is, it's how you effectively get the, what Darian deems second class lever. Right. And I know that's a debatable thing. and We're not going to get into are they levers or not. But let's just say in this model, we want the Achilles or the foot to operate as a second class lever. So now the transverse arch becomes the fulcrum. The shin goes down, heel pulls up, and that just is effective store and release of Achilles energy. That's it. Because if that shin keeps moving forward and the heel stays down, you're staying in first class one and two. You're just stretching, stretching the Achilles. So that becomes a thing. If you're someone that has a lot of dorsiflexion range, then your athletic posture has to dial you in to a stance or start stance that gets you to get that heel to pull up faster. Because yeah. we got to take some time away from you, as opposed to someone that doesn't have a lot of dorsiflexion range, like myself, What do we have less time? So they may strike with a little bit more vertical tibia, and then the heel's going to come up faster. So that's it. The time dictates a whole bunch of, of other things. So hopefully that answers
1: what yeah, you were asking. Yeah, I'll have a few follow-ups, <laughs> as always. Uh, that, you know,
0: and then the other thing is, as the, so where's the knee tracking, right? Mm-hmm. We want inside edge, but as there says inside, it could be just off the medial part of the big toe. It could be in between the big and second toe. And, you know, that's just based on assessment and just continually watching kids and not doing stupid stuff.
1: That's yeah. That's the key. Not doing stupid stuff. Yeah, you <laughs> just watch. didn't do stupid I mean, stuff. No, that's I mean, like seventy-five no no percent. No one, no one
0: has ever said, you know, hey, foot pointed out, knee going way in. That's like effective use of inside edge. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. it's not.
1: Yeah. No one. No one's coached. You that. could try to force yourself in that point. Okay. So uh, was let me ask you the posture question first because that's interesting. Sure. I actually haven't thought about it that way before. So you are saying if I have more dorsiflexion range. Then I should have mm-hmm. my xiphoid or sternum, basically chest bone for the simplest term, more forward in gen- generally speaking, versus if I have less dorsiflexion range, generally speaking, I'm going to be a little more vertical. I might not stick my chest out so much. Is that what you're yeah,
0: saying? Yeah, yeah. D- depending on sport, probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because if it takes forever, if that shin's still going down, the heel's staying down it's going to take too long to, to release energy and what are those are kids that typically don't run very fast right so yeah. it's going to be figuring out the best way and a lot of it is really learning how to stay long in the spine because a lot of those people what can they do they can really squat down low but where does the xiphoid go the xiphoid goes down because they have right? to
1: hinge hinge to get down low right
0: yeah, yeah, they can, or they can just drop their butt mm-hmm. and round and all that kind of stuff, which is a good thing in the weight room, right? That's, you know, expansion or all that. So we need to kind of find a way to kind of tighten that situation up. So, you know, it could be, yes, yeah, starting them closer to their end range. So, I mean, if, if and that's where, I don't know if you've ever seen a Darian's fat hurdle with the fluorescent oh, green. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've
1: seen that. That was a blast from the past <laughs> right there.
0: That, 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 that's what that's for. I mean,
1: that's exactly what that's for. Okay. So, and I, I view it almost more on some level. Well, because if you're running, I mean, you're not going to really probably access your full dorsiflexion range in running as long as your arches and your lever system is working well, because you're going to go, and again, I want to keep this as simple and not because that's easy for me to mm-hmm. say go class one to class two, but that's kind of like right. sub talk. So I don't, I want people to, <laughs> I want everyone to understand mm-hmm. this because a year ago I wouldn't have understood that basically in upright running, you're going to have that that shin hits at a negative angle. The knee's going to start going forward. Then, as soon as the tibia gets to a certain point, like somewhere just a little past ninety, then that heel's going to start coming up mm-hmm. as the fulcrum becomes the ball of the feet. As my hips are passing over the, mm-hmm. the foot, I can't if I glue the heel down until it's full dorsiflexion range as I'm sprinting, which some people do. Usually, those people are heel strikers. Then mm-hmm. I'm going to overstretch my Achilles, probably lose energy. I'm going to lose energy out of the foot. So my question is, is factoring in, and this is just for upright running, because where I was thinking more about what you were saying was perhaps something like a defensive stance, right? Or a, or a offensive stance or something like that in a team sport mm-hmm. where you have to go anywhere and maybe that heel does start a little closer to the ground or on the ground. And so anyways, I hope you understand what I'm saying, but how might that be different in where if I have a bigger dorsiflexion range, chest for more, I'm sure it does still work in running. I can see that. But can you explain that more in upright running versus a, a team sport, like a reactive well, situation?
0: So it all comes down to how fast are you moving forward? So if you do have that range and you're getting your xiphoid out ahead farther, then I guess that range could work in your favor. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where like if you can get Go from heel. If you if your shin can drop farther, your heels down, your heel comes up. Knee is is or shin still going down. Butts traveling over the knees. xiphoids out way ahead, and you can move that foot before the knee snaps back. Then I, I'd say you're you're golden. That that th- those are probably your really fast people. Like my my fastest yeah. kids have good range, but they can get out ahead. The problem is, I think where these like you said, a typical heel striker. They strike, they got dorsiflexion range, but they never actually move their xiphoid onto the other side of their butt.
1: Yeah, Gussain Bolt a good example. Maybe I could put him in the show notes. He's got that perfect xiphoid barrel chest, if you will. Xiphoid mm-hmm. is very far forward, but his range in sprinting isn't coming from dorsiflexion. It's coming from him just levering that tibia bone, that shin bone, way, way, way I guess uh, maybe I'm just trying to think of a good visual. That's always the challenge of this show. I yeah, have I, can, a video. I can visualize but what, what you're I'm about? trying to, for the listener, though, for as, as Usain Bolt is passing over his foot and running and that the shin is dropping, a.k.a. the knee is going forward as his heels coming up off the ground as he passes over, he's able to sustain that shin drop, that knee, dro- I guess you could say, knee, not really knee drop, but the shin is dropping forward for a very, very, very long time for Bolt because he's very good at that action. And of course, his heel is coming up. It's not staying glued to the ground. And his heel comes up early after that, you know, coming off of that mid stance versus perhaps other people. And he just does it for so long. So basically, whether it's dorsiflexion or whether it's that late stance shin drop, and I hope these two concepts are easy to understand. If they're not, send me me a message, uh, whoever, uh, and I'll do my best to answer for you. But that would be conducive to that, like real barrel chested versus someone who just doesn't have that if they try to do that. I guess what happens? I don't know. Like, that's what Like, what happens if I don't have that and I try to uh, really stick xylem? I mean, right that they move.
0: Essentially, what they do is probably the swing leg's going to be late and they're going to have to extend the knee before they extend the hip. And there becomes your people that don't effectively yeah. cast.
1: Time, timing, kills. timing problems, basically. And, what, and all that. Yeah,
0: happened? yeah, because that, that, that's when it all becomes. So, like Darian said, again, these are not my, these are all things I've yes. learned from him. Yeah. So again, same, same. that's what my men are and your manner. right? The swing leg is tied to the impulse of the stance foot, right? So as the heel starts to come up, impulses, and as long as the shin's going forward, once that shin stops moving forward, something has to change, right? So that's if the swing leg is not in position to catch the impulse, then you, your, what I say is your body gets desperate, and then you're going to have to mm-hmm. do something else. And yeah. Again, move, but again, and that happened. Actually, the play that everybody loves, Joe. I don't. I know you don't watch a ton of football, but did you see DK DK Metcalf on Sunday? The Seahawks guy. They're talking about trying to go out for the Olympic sprint team. Run that guy for Arizona down from behind.
1: No, I'll, I'll look it up though. The, the, my, rare, it up. my rare, my hey, rare football you- <laughs> watching. I'll watch whatever highlights <laughs> you send watch. me. I'll watch. People send me highlights. <laughs> I like watching those. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. A- any, any. Football guy watched football has seen it. So it's DK Metcalf's a big dude, receiver, whatever. Guy for Arizona, Buda Baker intercepts the ball in the goal line, he's gone. DK Metcalf goes into freaking bolt mode, right? But you can see it. Buda Baker starts extending his knee before he starts extending his hip. And Metcalf is in full hip cycle. Full hip cycle. His uh, butt hip is cy- pushed- What do you mean by
1: hip cycle real quick?
0: Oh, uh, so we've talked about squeezing the orange, right? And uh, a and and Between and the knee and knee and the, ham,
1: knee and the ca- hamstring and calf, calf squeezing the
0: orange. Keeping calf to hamstring. As it comes through to the other side, there's two things that can happen. You can either start to extend the hip to the ground. Okay. Or what do a lot of kids who don't run well do? They start to extend the knee before the hip extends mm. in the front. You know, and I just think of it as and, and some people say hammer down. I don't really like to get into that because I mm-hmm. think it's a different thought in the head. But the glute really pushes the knee to the ground. And then what happens? You land on a bent knee and you're squatted. If you start straightening your knee before your hip extends, you're probably going to land on a straight leg. And what are you? You're out of posture. And what is that? A non-negotiable. So
1: Yeah. That might get into a little – I'll have to check that video out. Maybe that will get into a little bit of a – On some level, sprinting on turf on a team sport versus sprinting on a track where you can, you know, as soon as after that thigh starts to drop, the leg will start to straighten and whatnot, whatnot, but it's, but it's. Oh, right, right.
0: That's it. Well, the guys that, and I, and again, I could be wrong on this. The people that effectively cast, they, they start to straighten the knee after the stance leg is removed, but the thigh is already extended a little bit. So they're running in the air, Yep, you know, you don't if you straighten the knee too soon and your foot's still out, other foot's still on the ground that you're not running in the air. You're not, you're, you're almost not running at all.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so bottom line, well, I will watch that play, but then also, so just thinking if I, if I have a large range, be it shin drop range or mm-hmm. just dorsiflex range for, for other movements in sport, I can generally get away with a larger uh, Xiphoid forward. If I don't have good range, then it's just going to cause, if I try to do that in sprinting, but I have poor, Uh, range off of the ball my feet as the shin drops forward and i just really i'm like yeah i need to get my side foot forward like bull it's going to cause a timing issue then is what you're saying
0: yeah it could yeah and the people with a lot of range they got to be pushing that it becomes a how fast are you moving Mm. forward you got to keep pushing that sucker
1: out ahead i almost wonder though if like i was just thinking about this if you took someone who usually doesn't stand like that maybe it's that bad posture maybe they're just slouching all the time or like self valuation is kind of low and they're always just kind of kyphotic And you just made them like be Superman, right? And sprint, I wonder, it makes me wonder if they could uh, figure out their stride per that. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if maybe their shin would start dropping more, like if I'm trying to sprint and all of a sudden I take on this barrel chested posture, if perhaps an athlete could figure that out and you would check shin drop before and after and see how doing that could impact. Of course, you need the raw machinery for, it. I guess if you have really short toes, you're kind of out of luck, right? <laughs> you can't, yeah, you can't yeah. have a long lever to, to get that shin to roll over or stuff like that.
0: Well, I mean, that's again, as many reps as possible in athletic posture and base position is, is kind of where that's what we we're talking about earlier. What they're trying to get the guy to run squatted. What do we do? We do a ton of mm-hmm. base position stuff on the inserts. And that's what goes back to what I said, we're warm up. We expose them to something I know they're not doing, you know, nobody, no, my kids are standing on carbon fiber with a, with a bump in it and working their transverse arts, you know, on their own.
1: So. Yeah. So let's get to that because, okay, so we've gone through, you'll do this assessment, get the kids to feel their feet, sense their feet, mm-hmm. which I think is just so important. So part of me just thinks, well, what if the weight room is just like littered with like those sticks and leaves and like little rocks and you just walked over, mm-hmm. it, you know, like that type of thing, like we all did when we were kids. I mean, on some level, right? So anyways, tell me more about the way we would explain, it, just say the second first class to second class lever, but let's just say the, as I'm running or doing whatever, as the shin is passing forward, go starting to go over the knee, that heel comes up with it. Basically being more on the ball of the foot for that would be the simplest way. Just getting people more ball of foot oriented could be mm-hmm. really the simplest way. Probably too simple. But what are some ways that you teach that method of getting the heel to come up off the ground as the knee starts to travel forward in a variety of situations, maybe running, but also maybe jumping or cutting and athletic uh, you know, cuts and and, and lateral change of directions and things like that.
0: So, one would be just little series of what we call like shin drop bunnies and that kind of stuff where you're in the posture and the only way you're moving is your shin drops, heels come up and you remove it and it's just real... Quick, continual. Sometimes it's just one at a time. But what I tell kids is if you can keep yourself going and you feel like you're either going to fall on your face or you got to run, you probably did it. You did it right. And I've had some posts on Instagram about that. You know, that would be it. Um, Some just regular horizontal jumping. To a box where we're squatting down, as you squat down, the heel comes up, shin drops forward, and then we hip cycle up onto a box. That's about the extent of our box jumping, low and more horizontally oriented because I don't have a sand pit or anything to cushion a landing. But if I have a kid that I deem really needs that, then I'll just put a series of jumps like that in their program. In terms of agility, it's, again, watching kids on film because false steps, some people call plyo step, false step, I don't care what you call it there's a good way to do it in a bad way. You know, if if you're stepping too far back and that foot you're stepping back with that heel comes down and the knee straightens, then yeah, that's is the mechanism for an Achilles tear and you know, the our age population, right. Or even, Mm -hmm. you know, even some younger athletes Mm -hmm. too have it. So we don't want it to be stretching and loading at the same time. So that's where heel taps and all that kind of stuff we do come in. But again, it all comes down to if you're in your posture and you know what your feet are doing, if you've got those two things and then I have you react in certain sprints, the kids that do it well, typically we're in the posture and everything worked out the way it did. If they don't do it well, we typically, they probably miss something, you know, whether it be posture or they're really jamming that heel down or trying to stomp or, or instead of fall, that kind of thing.
1: You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. So, I like the idea of just using, I mean, just simple stuff, like a standing broad jump. And, and you think about it, mm-hmm. just, it, to do a good standing broad jump, really, yeah, the heels have to come up. It's just part of the physics of it. The yeah. heels have and to come up as you rock forward.
0: Some guys get away with it. Some guys get away with it. But you find that 12, the but guys that jump 12 feet in the and they squat down, shin drops, butt comes over the knee, feet are off the ground before knees extend, mm-hmm. and then calf to hamstring in the air and it's a hip cycle.
1: Cool. Yeah. I wonder if you did like, you know, people who did for standing verticals and just heels are glued to the ground for the standing vert, if you did warmed up with some like standing long jumps and had the heel come off, you know, be aware of it. Maybe that would change in the vert. I don't know. case thinking.
0: case basis, I have a kid I can tell you that absolutely did not work out for <laughs> because he kept jumping off the mat. So, as soon as oh, I... forward off that, the
1: mat every time forward. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah, yeah. hilarious.
0: So, so that, and he's a kid that gets he's very quiet it's just maybe a type three or, or whatever did i say that right
1: did yeah I, uh, yeah the, the quiet the just the introverted like kind of afraid of stuff yeah yeah
0: the horizontal jump out he did a power rear throw or whatever we call it, viking toss and then went to jump mat and i was like okay this exercise just needs to go i have no problem doing it I put a line through it don't do it And immediately pr on, on that rep so like <laughs> there you go so dumb programming
1: that's cool uh, so you okay? So you got that for the the jumping, and then the 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 court movement. I know, yeah, like the Achilles tear mechanism. I think Adarian's posted this the best way. I is that when Kobe Man. tore his, it's like drop. You know, you're you're going you're dropping down to make a move. That back leg stabs back, and then it's just instead of the ball, of the foot catching the back leg, the, it just goes right onto the heel. and Then that Achilles snaps. Well, and, this time.
0: and the load your body weight is moving forward as your heels go oh, down. It. Your knee straightens. So what's Achilles is. Stretching and picking up load.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like the it's like the calf wants to operate concentrically while well, the tent but it was supposed to be kind of eccentrically because you're moving forward, which tricks it into being mm-hmm. concentric. And that uh, makes sense. I'm trying to yeah get it on the Bill yeah, Hartman. You terms can get into it, all, all of those things.
0: I've heard the calf activate; it becomes the glute at that point. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, your
1: flexor hallucis longus became the glute. Your pinky finger became the glute. The bottom
0: line is this: we don't want our kids moving forward with a straight knee and a heel down yeah. if we're reacting to a stance. Yeah, and if yeah, they yeah. do that, we do as much as we can to get them to not do it.
1: Got that's it. And so, like, heel it. taps being, like, if I am just have my leg <laughs> behind me or something, like, I'm kind of ready to move and I'm just tapping my heel up and down, feeling yeah, transverse. Yeah, yeah, we do em on to to the
0: end. end. And, and I kind of, like, I just had a kid yesterday, actually, he was doing back leg and his Achilles was doing nothing, so I had him move it to the front leg and I could see his Achilles really working. So...
1: Hmm. The, the, the transverse arch insole is what you're talking about. Or well, else. I
0: actually have them put their transverse arch on the floor and then I put an insert. So I tell them to anchor their transverse arch and I put one of those heel things we talked about when you were at the gym the yeah, other day. Yeah. I put that on like a one and a half inch like rubber mat mm. because really they're not going to tap. I don't want them slamming their heel to the floor.
1: No, no. So yeah, because it wouldn't move. They're just
0: typewriter tapping that, that heel. To the thing, so we'll oh, do it yeah, with the sensory. back leg. Do it in an athletic stance. I tell my volleyball players all the time, you should really, you know how. Remember old school football was like chopping the feet, chopping. You know, people were just slamming mm-hmm. their feet. Down. I said you should really have transverse arch pressure and heels lightly <laughs> tapping and, and pinky pull those kids that really get that. Yep. If, if you're sitting there waiting instead of just standing still, you know you're you're moving to move. You know, you shouldn't even really, I said, people shouldn't even really see that you're doing it, but you're doing it in your shoe.
1: Man, so. I, you yeah, know, it's funny. I like that you mentioned this because I like, I've written down so many notes from a over the years. And, and there's a lot of things like, I bet you that I was just thinking this the other day. I bet you there's something that I forgot that was awesome that he taught me like, I don't know, three years ago that I did and kind of just forgot about for whatever reason. And that was – so, I worked with a lot of swimmers when I was at Cal. And the epitome, I think, of, of if you had to stereotype a swimmer on land, a stereotype could be someone whose Achilles don't time up very well with land-based things. Because, again, you're a swimmer. Like, what? You're not you're a basketball or football player. I mean, you know, it, I mean, again, it depends probably on your, your multi-sport background. But the kids that may have been swimming for a long time and didn't really play a lot of sports, I think could be prototypical people whose Achilles just don't time that well to get them vertical. And so, I remember – after a Darien had it showed me that i did a thing where and this could work for anybody not just swimmers i mean it worked for me too that i would just put them on the not everybody but a few people who i felt could jump a little higher than they were they were strong but they weren't getting up as high as they could and so we put them on the just jump mat and i think i put it was either a darian's insoles or maybe it's just like i don't know you could put anything you could put a few nickels under the heels like just something to have a sense sensory reflex when the heel touches it i mean ideally it's something with more of a sensory load but i think you could just put almost anything and i remember having them kind of get in a vertical kind of like in a squat a little bit and then just try to like time the tapping of their heels with the unloading like just kind of have them tap a few times and i was some deal where they had to just tap the heel feel the sensory load on the heel and then they would jump and i remember a few people like who weren't getting up before like just instantly you could just see that snap and that time up happened it's like, this is why you weren't jumping very high, you know? And then I just kind of, I think it's because it was swimmers and not that it's not important because it is, um, you know, every, I mean, every athlete I've ever worked with, I want to give them the maximal bit, but maybe I just, maybe it was, I don't know, maybe I got another lesson from a Darian and then just forgot about it or I don't, I don't know what, but that was, that was pretty cool. And I don't honestly, so basically what you're saying just made me think about that. And I don't know why I didn't do it more, but that sensory, lo- it's, it's all about sensation. We forget,
0: we learn, right? That's wise people say that all the time.
1: Yeah, you, for, I've, you know, I've. this guy's forgotten more than, you know, I, I'm not that point where I've forgotten more than anyone's learned for sure. But I heard, you've heard that said about other coaches, you know, where like a wise old sage and this guy's forgotten more than I've ever learned. I was like, oh, that was something I forgot that was pretty cool. I'm going to start doing that again.
0: Right. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah, we've been doing, I call that kind of ride the impulse. Like you yeah. would put up the low foot squat jumps to a... Low foot, yeah, calf jumps to a squat jump. Yeah, rhythms, yeah, three to ones, that. five to ones, yeah. Well, that was the extreme jump soul program that I used to have kids doing jump. It was like psh, spot rapid fire, and jump in between. And I, I put a post about a basketball girl do I love it, but I just call it ride in the impulse. You know, feel that when, instead of really trying to stop, push and jump. Heel comes up, pull yourself off the ground. You're not going to jump your highest, especially with like single leg type stuff but the timing and the fluidity yeah. of it is, is just is really cool and it's it's less impact on the body i think so
1: i think so too yeah it's, it's so cool it's just the stuff you pick up right being in the non-traditional um, strength coach education or physical preparation or whatever it is like it's not like I was, you know, sitting in class, take the CSCS and it's like, oh yeah, do all these heel taps with jump soles. But it's like, but you watch people who are doing, I mean, to me, the epitome of so much of this is just watching people do like 360 dunks or something. And you're right. seeing like, this goes so far beyond the squat pattern. It is unbelievable in the sense of you got like that lever action we're talking about where the, the heel is off the ground. I mean, a lot of times if I'm doing, you're seeing a elite running two leg jump you're seeing that front leg, that final plant leg heel being kind of off the ground, even before well before the person's actually projecting themselves upward. And like, where mm-hmm. does the ability to do that come in? It's like, yeah, we could just call it strength and be real binary. And yeah, they are strong through like, you got to be fascially loaded to, to do that. But they also have like an immaculate sensory system to be able to create that collision with the front leg at the right time, time that up with the Achilles. I mean, cause I can try to do jump like that, but it just doesn't really work. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, but I, but I want to, maybe what I'll, my homework will be is to start integrating more heel taps with various types of takeoffs and things like that. I mean, like I, did, I was doing the vert, but I think it'd be cool to integrate that with a variety of sport movements too. Even um, if you're watching the Darien stuff, I'm sure you have like the shot putters and the collisions and shot put, mm-hmm. the collisions and javelin and that one shot putter, it's like you're they're creating these little subtle, like taps and collisions through the heel it's really, and once you start looking for it, like, wow, this is really cool.
0: Well, that's it. I mean, get back to football. Darian always is posting Tyreek Hills, who's the, probably, the, I don't know if he's the best receiver in the but he's definitely the mm-hmm. fastest. And his the ability to fall, step, and fall, and drop, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Honestly. I mean, we I don't try to teach that <laughs> yeah.
1: consciously. You know, yeah, no one tell Tyreek no Hill actually what he's doing. Just let him do <laughs> no, it. <you> know? <laughs> no, but I do
0: have kids. I'm like, Oh, he's doing kind of that. I go. Let's try to move this foot and see what see what we can get out of it. And yeah, the, and, but, but again, that's what was Darren said. Study the outliers. Study the fast people. You know. So
1: yeah. So you've said transverse arch a few times. So let's just go quickly into that. For and again, something that's not necessarily easy. Mm-hmm. The foot is a complex enough organism, even if you're just looking at it. You know, like it's got <laughs> you know bones and joints and arches. But for the sake of, uh, again, being a audio show, explain the transverse arch and, and what that means to you when you're you're talking about getting up onto the balls of the feet, the heel coming off the ground, and those types of constructs.
0: Yeah, I mean, for as, as we say, it just runs from base of big toe to base of pinky, and if you can push pinky toe away and maintain base of big, base of pinky, and heel, you form that triangle, which is the strongest structure and you got all three arches working for you. And as you're moving and heel comes up, you want your pressure more on that transverse arch and definitely not negating it by toe gripping yeah. or getting the toes, which is gonna stand you up and turn you into a class one lever instead of class two. So we're back to that, not not talking about it too much. But try,
1: not to have niche um, niche terms. Yeah, yeah, the niche yeah, terms that, that's of basically the what podcast. it is.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But again, it's it's just like for these kids in the simplest term that's that's where I it's where I want them to understand that's where they need the pressure, you know, and then separating it because I know in gait and walking and you get into the the aim stuff and the forwards, that's different different stuff. You're not trying to stiffen arches when you're really pronating and and supinating two different things. That's why I just rotate them and mix it up. And I'll tell kids, look, this is more for walking and just general foot stuff. This arch stuff we're doing on the inserts, this is more what I want your foot doing when we're trying to sprint.
1: Yeah. This, That's so. an important um, distinction that I've kind of made because I trying to reconcile what's happening in walking in the clinical physical therapist textbook gate is yeah. so different than sprinting. It's just like, yeah, you know, you have, I mean, it's, it's not the same thing quite.
0: Well, think back—the last time you had me on the show, we we're talking pronation. That was before I said, my gosh. You know, and I, you know, you know, like Stephen that was on with me. He's a guy too. He's like, dude, the foot's very complex, man. There's a lot to it. And I started reading Gary, so I'm like, oh god, I don't know.
1: And the more <laughs> so you read, it, making, the more you do. It's like I don't yeah, know what the yeah, so world's talking so about. I, talk
0: about all I know is we do the wedge stuff to give him some sensory. Yeah. You know, okay pronate? can we resupinate that kind of stuff okay now today like this week this is an art i told the kids hey we're training the arches today you know we're on the wedge we're training pronation supination oh, cool. most of the kids honestly not give a fuck <laughs> uh,
1: I, I i would <laughs> agree with that the kids <laughs> you at least, know but some whatever. do but most don't at yeah.
0: least i waved the flag and said there's a difference and you know maybe it, you'll again, thank me
1: for this one day when you're hurt and 20 dumb, you're yeah, 30 and I you just have a sore that achilles you're gonna thank me dumb Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, the wedges, I, I, I actually have kind of found the same thing. I, I actually haven't really like made it out like that for the kids. Like, this is this day. I usually just get the wedges out. Some kid has. If there's a pain issue, they're not pronating. Okay, let's get the wedges out. Other than that, it's just let's get into the arches. And I like to think about it, too. It almost like it gets into – the more you actually get into high-speed sprinting, the more everything just turns into just circles. It's just like Darren said, it's just circles sure. and spirals, and you start to think about it more like that, then trying to say that at this point in the sprint, this is pronating and this is rotating here. It just doesn't you, nah. as soon as you stop walking, you kind of lose that. And so I'm just trying to sure. wrap my mind around it. Sure. Okay, cool. So I do want to get to, uh, oh, and then I was going to say you used to, to help transverse arch too. So you said the, the space between the, or the ball, of the big toe ball, of the little toe, you said pinky toe. Did, did you lift the pinky toe up or away? Like you said, pinky toe well, away, well, well, you're, I'm you're pushing it up. away,
0: pushing it away. Okay. And, Trying uh, away and up a tad, like he says, kind of a linchpin to the whole, whole deal, but you got to be able to keep the base of the pinky toe down. Um, and then again, hmm. some kids, I don't use that with at all. If, if I tell them to go inside edge and their you know foot completely over pronates and knee goes in, I'm not, I just want them to be on that triangle. And yeah, I just, on the, at,
1: just hit the triangle. Yeah.
0: Leave it at that. Uh, with with a lot of my kids, I really kind of just leave it at that. And then there's some kids I might come back like, "Hey man, remember <laughs> you know when you're setting up? If I get a kid, I'm you know he's trying to run for a college scholarship and getting set up for a forty, and it's like okay, then we might be like, okay, you got me. Let's make sure you're doing this in your shoe with set up, and, and all that kind of thing. A thirteen year old that again just like we talked about the nine-year-old trekker, they don't need all that information.
1: No, so. no, I really, yeah, the less the better. It's just like we it, pay yeah. respect to your the human organism. It's going to solve the problem. Yeah,
0: unless they have a major injury or something, you
1: know, no, they don't, they don't need that. So. Yeah, right on. Hey, well, last thing let's get to is I'd like to talk about, I mean, we were probably going to spend more time on the show talking about this, but that's okay. So, because you mentioned toe gripping and that makes me think about Well, everyone that, not everybody, but at least in unilateral toe gripping, particularly a lot of times it's really due or always an injury. Like you hurt your hip, you hurt your knee, then then the toe grip to compensate. I know Steven had said that with like the Bill Hartman say like the toe, the feet are the ultimate compensator. So where's the medium as you work your way? Like if you're working with an athlete, man, there's doing a lot of toe gripping or maybe I should just ask this. How do you fit the foot stuff with what's happening upstream hip, internal rotation, compression, expansion, those types of things?
0: In terms of that, not much more than we are constantly trying to keep base a big, base of pinky, and heel. If mm-hmm. we're doing a squat, split squat type thing, and I assuming I want the heel down. Yeah. If it's a kid that I don't like their shoe wear, let's get the shoes off. I do have kids that do let's just say a rear foot elevated split squat with their front foot on and a Darien insert, because I think they need that. Mm-hmm. So it is continually. So when kids, when a kid backs out of the squat rack, I don't care if it's on the heel elevated wrap. If it's not, if they're just feet on the floor, the first thing I say to them is find base of big, base of pinky, and heel, even distribution to each foot. That's, that's the automatic cue that I give them. So in in terms of you know that kind of thing, you know, the, like you said, compressive, expansive. I'm not really doing too much with the foot other than maybe elevating it on a platform, on a ramp, or just Mm -hmm. elevating a couple inches in the air. And again, that's just kind of based on stuff I've learned from really smart people like Steven and Bill's mentors and my current uh, therapist, James Fryer. Other than that, I kind of just go on, okay, this kid has this look, this presentation. I feel he needs, he, she needs this. This looks good. They feel it in their hamstrings, glutes, wherever I want them to feel with and I take it as a win and the main thing we would manipulate would be how we load them, which I don't think is any different than stuff we talked about before.
1: Yeah. So why, um, because actually this, that was interesting. I know a couple episodes ago, I had Michelle Bolin and Tim Richard on and, Tim had talked about using a f- rear foot versus a front foot for runners based off their presentations. And I love that you put the, you know, the Adarian insole or just, I mean, if people don't have those, like just some sort of sensory load that makes the.
0: You the, get the wedges. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. if kid over put a sock or, you know, again, if you if they can't do it, they shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> rear mm-hmm. foot, elevated is in the wrong, they're not ready to be supported almost yeah. on one.
1: Why do you like the front foot though so, uh, so like for that like why is that kind of a, a thing that's commonly in there like what is that doing that The
0: front the front foot elevated?
1: Yeah, where you just pop that up a few inches.
0: Well, for one as as I've learned is it allows them to get in that hip a little bit better. It brings the ground up to them. It puts them more towards I guess it it buys us a little bit more ability to get the 90 degrees of flexion. And there's other guys that could speak and, and women that can speak way more intelligently on this than I have. It, it just to me, bi- from what I understand, biases us more towards early and mid stance, okay. whereas the rear foot elevated is going to be more late stance. Which again, and that kind of depends on how you, where you position the front foot. But again, any of those other people you've interviewed and stuff, I think would say the same thing, probably a lot better than than I'm saying it. It just becomes now. Are we going to load them contralaterally to try to get some IR? Are we going to load them ipsilaterally, maybe to get some to buy more ER on that side we're loading, or am I going to goblet them for whatever reason I feel necessary to do that, or go sandbag zurcher or something like that? So.
1: One of these days I'm going to do a workout that's, you know, me and you were talking about this. This has been my thing, like doing workouts with only like two or three things mm-hmm. in them tops and just exploring those two or three things the whole time. It'd be really interesting to do. I'm going to pick a split squat variation, front or rear load bias, inter- external hold the weight on the outside or bias internal, hold it medially, and then sprint or some sort of sprint and just keep going back and forth and just see what happens. You know, I'd be kind of a, an interesting journey, you know, to continually do that. you probably have a Bigger appreciation for how this is actually carrying over versus, I think, so often. I mean, again, we talked this last time, or, but really, in general, like it's just, oh, this is how we do the lift, and this is just load it like this and be like this. And because I said so, and he's kind of exploring and figure that, out how that, it works for you. Because that's
0: what we've always done, and that's what's on the whiteboard yeah. for today. Which, <laughs> you know, again, in a school setting, it's hard because you got a lot of yeah, I kids. I, I just think that the lowest hanging fruit is ice is, is is easy. You just got to say, you know what, we're going to do this. And if we stay the course, it's going to work. And you're going to affect more kids positively than you would trying to say, okay, we're going to clean squat. Bend. And nothing, any of those things are wrong. You, you, if, if I bring in 50, 50, 15 year old freshmen to you, I just, I, I don't understand why you would try to immediately go to something that is a lift that like professional power lifters do, you know,
1: you you got to earn that lift. You got to earn it. I don't get,
0: why, why would you say, you know what? Straight bar deadlift is what we're going to do today on the first day with these 50 freshmen girls or boys A place I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why that would be, where you would go? Probably because them. it's
1: International Back Day, <laughs> and that's yeah, why. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: I mean, unless you're really trying to, uh, yeah, I don't know. Trying if you know a therapist trying to keep in business Yeah, try
1: to keep. keep yeah, give it. It's secret. Yeah, a little underground. Well, keep yeah, the therapist Yeah, when busy. you
0: can really be coaching long duration isometrics, all mm-hmm. these things that Christian Thibodeau's talked about on your show, they're in his book, and they're very simple. And to me, it slows things down for the coach because that's what you need when you have a lot of group. What happens when you got fifty kids in the weight room? Things move fast. And it's a clusterfuck a lot. Mm -hmm. So why not control the time with isometrics? And hey, you get your butt back. Hey, you need your butt down. Hey, you need to keep your heel down. You got time to do it, and that. And then maybe three weeks later, then you can do, it. you know, a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's just. I think I'm off topic. A simple message, but yeah, one that hopefully, um, you know, if if every coach in the world picked up on at some point, you know, some of those um, the therapists would be kept less busy. I think, and so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think everyone listening to this podcast is very clearly familiar with not having freshmen do deadlifts on the first day. But it'd be nice if, you know, the more and more and more of the coaching world could start to understand those concepts. And But then again, that gives, um, you know, people like you and I business to do things a little sure. more intelligently. So Sure, sure. All right. Well, hey, it was good talking to you, Mike. I know we didn't cover absolutely everything we had on the paper but it was a great talk lots of things for me to think about and consider i'm gonna get those heel taps going again i'll let you know what i came up with and i appreciate your insight today man it always is awesome talking oh, to you and seeing what always
0: you fun man always fun
1: all right that does it for another show thanks for being here with us if you enjoyed it you can leave us a rating or review on itunes or stitcher we would totally appreciate that before we get out of here, I wanted to give one last shout out to our sponsor, simplyfaster.com, suppliers of high-end training technology. They've been a longtime sponsor of this show, and we are appreciative of them. So be sure to check out their online store and what of the things that they have available. All right, that does it for this week. We'll see you guys next one. Have a good one.